You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So we're in this season of Advent, and as we are waiting and anticipating and preparing for celebration, Christmas Day comes and we celebrate. And so there's a lot of traditions, but I've noticed that most of those involve a big meal uh, with most families. So you're going to get with family, and the chances are really good that you're going to eat together. And I think about those tables and what they look like on Christmas Day when we get to be with all of our family and friends. And usually it is like exceedingly more than we need. It is like over and above what we would normally cook. It is like uh, more than necessary. Would you agree with me this morning that that's how Christmas meals look with families? So one day Jesus is with his disciples and this large group of people. And they're in a discussion. And here's what Jesus says. I have come. So this whole Christmas event, I have come. And that's been our focus. Those words, He has come. I have come that they, meaning all people, and He's very clear about that. I have come that they may have life. But listen to what He says, okay? And have life to the full. Exceeding more than you need over and above, more than necessary, it's like lunch on Christmas Day when you get with your family. I mean, I want your life to be like that. I don't want you to be scrapping for life. I want your life to have that kind of fullness to it. Just living life to the full. That's what Christmas is about, Jesus says. And so, open your Bible with me, will you, to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 10, and we'll start reading with verse 1. So, Hey, grab a Bible. If you're kind of new to carrying a Bible, I'll help you find it, okay? If you go to the New Testament, the first book is Matthew. The fourth book is John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Go to John. We're in the 10th chapter, and we're going to start reading with verse 1, okay? There's something really important that I want to say before I read this to you, and that is that sometimes when I start reading the Scripture to you, it's like a new subject or a new thought. Not so with John chapter 10, verse 1. What happened in chapter 9 is that God heals a man who was born blind. He's never been able to see. And now all of a sudden, he can see. And so it creates quite a discussion among Pharisees about who Jesus is. Is he the Messiah? Is he a prophet? Is he the Son of God? Who is he? And so Jesus responds to those questions beginning in chapter 10, verse 1. And he starts by this figure of speech. And so this is going to sound like it comes out of left field, but just bear with me, okay? So here's what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, is a thief and a robber. So seriously, Jesus is talking about who he is by using this figure of speech, okay? Sheep, sheep pen, gate, shepherd, all that kind of stuff. But the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought them out, all of his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. So I wonder if anybody in the room would just kind of be willing to... 
kind of admit with me, okay, pastor, I'm with you. Uh, that's kind of a hard analogy because I don't know anything about sheep or shepherds. Anybody else struggling in the room a little bit? One person is struggling with me just a little bit. So hang with me. We'll get it there. So Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now look at verse 7. So therefore, Jesus said again. Let me see if I can make it more clear. Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. And all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it full. Like like the table looks at a Christmas family gathering. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and those are not his own sheep. Uh, I think I messed that up really bad. The hired shepherd is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So listen to what Jesus says in application. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. He's talking about now Gentile people like you and me. He was then talking about Jews. And so he says, this is for everybody. They too will listen to my voice. And they shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. Now he's talking about the resurrection. And so John says, let me just kind of close all of this by telling you what happens next. And so these are his closing words. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. So many of them said... He's demon-possessed, and he's raving mad. Why listen to him? But then there were some others who said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You got all that? I spoke in chapel a month ago. At the university next door, Southern Nazarene University. So I stand up in front of this group of college students. And I said to them, I don't know everything there is to know about you or people who are your age. But there's a few things I do know about you. And one of the things that I know about you is that you don't think a lot about dying. You think more about living. There's a shift. I think when I was a teenager, I thought some about what happens if I die. People who are in that age today, you know what they pray about, rather what they worry about, what happens if I live. 
Because they want life to be really full and they want life to be meaningful and they want life to be abundant and they want their experiences to be rich. And they're not going around wringing their hands and worrying themselves about what happens if I die. No, they're focused on what is my life going to be like? What happens if I live? And so we all want life to be full, right? We all want experiences to be rich. We want life to be good. I don't want to have a bad, boring life. I want to have a good, rich life. I want my life to be full. And so I think the question is, where do you look for full life? To whom do you look for full life? And so when you go back to the nation of Israel, it's kind of awkward because we're living in two worlds. We're we're 2014. It's the season of Advent in the United States of America, but we're trying to put ourselves 2,000 years ago into the Middle Eastern part of the world, and we're trying to understand what their lives are like. And so there were people who said, I know you're living under Roman rule, but what if we just created a band of rebels, renegades, revolutionaries? What if we just stood up against Rome and said, we're no longer going to serve you. Come on, follow us. We're going to give you a full life. Let's be a band of rebels. And then there were people like King Herod who was very comfortable submitting to Rome as long as he could enjoy his wealth and his power. And he was saying to the people, no, I'll give you a fuller life. And then comes Jesus with this little band, ragtag rather band of disciples. And he says, the reason I came was so that your lives could be very full. Oh, really, Jesus? That's interesting. So, so what does that look like, you giving me a full life? And Jesus says, well, it looks a lot like a shepherd caring for his sheep. And I want to say, really? Seriously? Because that is just one of those analogies that doesn't really register with me. I don't know when is the last time I've even seen a live sheep, and I don't think I've ever talked to a shepherd in my life. So I struggle with that. But when I open the Bible, I get a lot of that. Did you know that the word sheep is found 200 times in the Bible? And did you know that the word lamb is found almost 200 times in the Bible? And the word shepherd is found over 100 times in the Bible? And time and time again, you open the Bible and you read all this language about sheep and shepherds. And I'm going, I've never really met a sheep personally. And I've never really talked to a shepherd. And so it's hard for me to grasp. But I go to the Old Testament. You know what God says? I am the shepherd of my sheep, meaning the people of Israel. And you know what David says in the book of Psalms? He says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. You remember what happens when Jesus reinstates Peter? He says, do you love me, Peter? After he denies him, you know I love you, Lord. You know all things. And Jesus says, well, then feed my, feed my sheep. You call me pastor. I'd rather be called pastor than doctor. And I ask people to call me pastor. Do you know what the word pastor comes from? We translate it from Latin. You know what it means in Latin? Shepherd. I'm a shepherd. And it's consistent with this teaching in the New Testament in books like Ephesians where the pastor or the overseer is urged to take care of your flock, meaning sheep. Do you know what the third most popular passage of Scripture in the Bible is? And I know it's the third most popular because I read it on the internet. It's gospel truth if you read it on the internet. (laughs) It's about sheep and shepherds. Number one is 
God so loved the world, John 3.16. Number two is the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. I think that's because of weddings. Number three, Psalm 23. Throw it up on the screen. Let's read it responsibly, okay? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green He leads me beside the still waters. He He leads me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I mean, I, I try to get it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I want to get it. But the sheep shepherd thing? And so I was lamenting to my friend Bob Miller this week that I'm preaching this sermon. And it's all about sheep and shepherds. And I said, but I think that we all struggle to relate. And he said, well, I might be able to help. And so he introduced me to his shepherd friend, Wayne and Kim. And they're here this morning and they brought a sheep. So you want to welcome them as they come to join us this morning? Good morning, guys. Thanks so much for coming in and bringing a sheep with you. Oh, my goodness. So steps would be like this uh, new thing that, uh, yeah, not a part of life. <laughs> well, let me get a microphone for you, okay? So good morning, Wayne, and good morning, Kim. Thanks for joining us here at Bethany First Church. And um, you, you would consider yourself a, a shepherd? That's right. We have a flock of Jacob sheep uh, out near Piedmont. Awesome, awesome. And so, um, so you have sheep for what reason? You just decided that maybe you wanted to have sheep? Um, well, actually, no. We, uh, we had the opportunity to move on to an acreage, and um, we were trying to determine what animals that we wanted, what livestock, and we've always just kind of wondered what it would be like, reading Scripture so many times and, and uh, how it talks about the sheep and the shepherd, and so we decided that we wanted sheep. We wanted to have a greater understanding of God's Word. Well, that's where we're at, and of course why we invited you here today is to help us have a greater understanding. And so, so you, like, um, you, you shear the sheep? You uh, take the wool? We do. Um, they get sheared in uh, January or February before lambing. Uh, every year we have a professional shearer come in, and he shears the wool, and then Kim uh, uh, cleans the wool and spins the wool and turns it into yarn. So when I read the scripture about Jesus uh, using the analogy of sheep and shepherd, and that was so much a part of their lives and their culture, would, would a Jacob sheep and the sheep that you have be more dom- domesticated, or would they be like the sheep of Jesus' day? They're more like the sheep of Jesus' day, actually. They're uh, um, a little more wild. They haven't, uh, they haven't, uh, their wildness hasn't been bred out of them for a particular reason. Um, they're a heritage breed, and so they are very much like they probably would have been 2,000 years ago. In fact, they're called Jacob sheep for Jacob in the Bible. They came from Syria a couple thousand years ago. I see. So do you name your sheep? We sure do. This, uh, this guy right here, he's a 10-month-old lamb. He doesn't look like a lamb anymore. But his name is Azur because he, is, uh, he was born with one blue eye, and Azur is a color of blue. I'm just kind of stepping away as needed here. Yeah. So we're doing fine. Well, 
he was actually looking at his reflection in the wind, the glass out there, and I was afraid he was going to ram it. So, yeah, we took a little walk. So, so we read about gates and all. Do sheep need gates? Is it important that Azur and all of his uh, fellow friends? Uh, Do you have to keep them up at night? Is that important? Um, Actually, it's very important. Um, We actually have predators in Oklahoma, which you wouldn't think of. And when we first started having sheep, we didn't think of either. And we actually lost some sheep to a a predator. Um, They actually live in a pasture by day. We have a guard llama that actually would be our gatekeeper. He doesn't let anybody in. Um, He knows us, so he he likes us. But uh, at night... Um, one of us will go out and lead them into a shelter, and we'll lock them up for the night to protect them. Awesome. So, but they have a tendency um, to really just walk off. They, they think food, and so they graze, and they graze, and they always have their head down, and, and uh, it's kind of funny because all of a sudden they'll realize that they aren't with the flock anymore. They're, they're eating grass, and, and uh, in fact, I remember, if you don't mind me sharing, um, I got a phone call at work. This is not my day job. And uh, that the sheep were out, and I'd left the gate open. And uh, they had scattered all over the acreage. And so I went home and uh, called them all together, and they came running and walked through the gate, and I locked the gate, and they were safe again. So that's the idea. Sheep are, are led. They follow. Very um, much so. This idea of a halter is, is, not, is not sheep uh, friendly, right? No, it's very new to him as of about four hours ago. I see. Um, so he's actually acting really nice. Um, no, actually, when he's out on pasture, when he sees us, um, they'll come running. Um, they know who we are. We walk around with them um, and just enjoy them. They feel comfortable, but were we to walk out with you, then they would probably run away. I see, because I'm a stranger and they don't know my voice. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So. so you were telling me uh, earlier, Kim, about... Um, about about how that you walked out one day, and although you have 30 sheep, you, you, you know them, and it would be almost impossible to count like the 99 that Jesus talks about because they're moving, but you actually recognized one of your sheep was missing. Yes, I, uh, the first time that happened, it was a really um, new experience. Um, you, the sheep are always moving, so you can't, there's not really a good way to count them. Um, so when I was out one day and I just realized that somebody wasn't there. So on closer inspection, I realized which one was missing and went to find it. And she had just gone, wandered off on the other side of um, a shelter in the pasture. And when I called her, she realized that, oh, I'm not with everyone else and ran back. But, um, but you, it, it made me realize that God knows us by name, that we're not just a bunch of people out here, <laughs> and, um, and that that, was, that that brought extra special meaning to that passage of Scripture. Awesome. Man, don't you appreciate these guys coming today? Would you thank them? Thank you. So. So I think uh, Azur did great today, don't you? And uh, we were a little concerned that she might share something with us, and she didn't, and we're glad. That's a good thing. Um, yeah, I guess she's not out of here yet. Don't count. Uh, right, yeah. So the reason they put her on halters is because of fear and the crowd and just thinking she may just kind of take off and come and see some of you, and they thought that would be better. 
So, so Jesus says, I want to talk about who I am. Because that's the question, right? I healed the blind man and people are talking about it. I want to talk about who I am. And, and here's how he talks about it. He contrasts himself with someone who he's not. I am the true Messiah. I am the true King. I am the good shepherd. And when I talk about giving you abundant life, I can produce it unlike others who would talk to you about giving you abundant life who could not produce it. And so he uses all this language about, I'm the good shepherd, so what am I going to do? I'm going to enter the gate. Through the gate, rather, the sheep pen. But what's the thief and the robber going to do? They're going to come some other way. And so I was reading one guy this week, and he said, you know what, I was in the Middle East recently. And while in the Middle East, I was in a village that was quite populated, and so I went over to where there was this sheepfold. And so it's like shepherds come and they put their sheep in the fold, but there's many shepherds who have many of their sheep in the fold, and so you pay a little bit of money to have them there for maybe a day or two. And he said, while standing there, I watched a shepherd, and I watched him walk up and begin to call sheep by name. And as he's calling sheep by name, they start coming to him, working their way through that flock of sheep. And as he walks away, the sheep just follow the shepherd as he walks off. I saw it happen, he said, with my own eyes. Jesus takes all of that and builds a contrast. And he says, but a stranger, they're not going to follow. He says, you want to know how you can tell that I am who I claim to be? Because people have heard my voice. And they have chosen to follow me. And they have believed in their hearts that I am the Son of God, the Messiah. And I am the Savior of the world, and they have trusted me with their souls. Annette and I were driving last night, and I said to her, we we should call mom and dad, my my parents. And so often we're in the car, we call them, and so their phone rings, and one of them will answer, and then we'll hear the other pick up. It's kind of always been funny to me. They had these matching phones sitting beside their chairs. So Annette and I, we're going to have to get matching phones as we get older one of these days, and so we talked to them for a while. And so it was just kind of one of those, how you doing, where you been, how was your day, how was your week, and we filled them on what we were doing. And then we hung up the phone after we talked for a while. You know, I think about my heritage. My, my parents are, are good, godly people. My dad was saved when I was very young. And so all I remember about my dad was just this steady, consistent, faithful, steadfast follower of Jesus. He just did what was right in the eyes of God and he expected us to do what was right in the eyes of God. But if I was going to describe my mother to you, I would describe her a little bit differently. Love the Lord so much. And in her desire to be like Jesus, here was her life. She was always living for somebody else. It was never about her, never. She was never thinking about her wants or her needs or her desires. It was always about somebody else. Who in your life is like that? And so when Jesus talks about himself in this analogy, that's the kind of language he begins to use. All right, you've heard me say this. I know you don't get it, you don't understand it. But I've been talking to you about who I am. And already five times in the Gospel of John, Jesus has used the phrase, I am. It's a divine assertion about himself. Because when Moses says to God, 
Who do I say to Pharaoh that sent me? And God say, you say, I am sent you. And so Jesus has already said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the vine. And then he says, let me add two more. I am the gate. And I am the good shepherd. So let's talk about that for a minute. So a moment ago, I mentioned to you that in a populated village, a shepherd might bring his sheep and there would be a gatekeeper. And you might pay them a little something to let the sheep stay in the fold. But when the shepherd left and the sheep followed him, and he went up into the Judean hillside to find grazing for his flock, there were makeshift kind of sheepfolds and pens. But there was no functioning gate that would open and close. It was just an opening. And so the shepherd himself would lay down in front of the opening. And he himself would become the gate. And Jesus says, I will put you before me. I will lay my life down for you. I will provide for you, I will lead you, I will care for you, and I will protect you from anything that would harm you in the night. I will be there for you. And then he said, I'm the good shepherd. If I have to give my life, I will give my life. The hired hand, he's going to (laughs) run, not me. I'm going to be there for you. So I think we've kind of come to this point of the sermon where we have to ask a question. What do, you, what do you do with this? And so when you get to the very end of the passage, it gives us this kind of sobering moment. Where there's this group of Jewish people and they hear Jesus talk. And they make a decision about what he has said. Whether or not he is the, the true Messiah, the good shepherd, the true king. The one who really can give you abundant life. And some of the people said... He's raving mad. He's demon-possessed. Why would you pay any attention to what this man says? And then there was another group of people who said, He's not talking like someone who is demon-possessed. And could a demon-possessed man really give sight to a blind man? And they put their faith in him and they believed. So here's the question. In your heart, what have you decided? In your mind, who is Jesus? Is He where full life is found? So I think we should spend a few minutes talking about that, okay? We moved to a little town... And when we got there, we began to get to know people. And you begin to hear people talk differently. Because every community has their own sayings and language and all that kind of stuff. And so they would say something I'd never heard anybody say before. I would just say, hey, how you doing? You know, just kind of this greeting. And the response that I got a lot, and I'd never heard it before, was, hey, pastor, well, at least I'm on this side of the grass. So I understood it, you know. Hey, how are you doing? I'm on this side of the turf, aren't I? Yep, you are. 
I mean, it was okay. I didn't dislike them saying it. It, It's just something I hadn't heard before. It was just, hey, how's your day? Well, I'm on this side of the grass. All right? I'm following you. And so what they were really saying was, I'm alive, not dead. I'm existing. When Jesus talks about full life, he's not simply talking about the opposite of death. He's not talking about mere existence. He's talking about something that is exceeding beyond the need. He's talking about over and above. He's talking about much more than necessary. He's talking about life that is full. He's talking about the table at a family Christmas gathering. That's what he's talking about. Life that is, that is full. So can, can we talk about us for a minute and, and the world that we live in and, and our culture? Because, because we chase something in our world, you and me. We, we chase something. And what we chase is more. More what? More. More money? Yeah. More prestige? Yes. More affirmation? Absolutely. More stuff? Yes. More stuff for sure. More. Just more. And we have begun to believe in our hearts that if my life is going to be full, then I'm going to have to have more. It's going to take more for my life to be abundant. I mean, if my life is going to be full and abundant and great, then I'm going to have to have a lot more than I have right now. I need more than I have today. And so we chase more. But when Jesus talks about a full life... And I'm going to give you this full life. If I were going to define full, I would say it this way. (laughs) Nothing more is required. He has given me full life and I don't need any more. Because I am full. I mean, if I fill up my gas tank on my car and I fill it completely full... There is no more that's needed. It's full. Or when I stand up from eating that Christmas meal and I say, I can't take another bite, but did you taste this? No, I'm telling you, I'm stuffed. I'm full. I don't need any more. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants you to have. And that's the kind of life that He offers you. To where you say, I'm satisfied and I don't need anything more. So, you say, Rick, are you talking about trying to get me to heaven? Um, I suppose so. But maybe the focus today is more on getting a little bit of heaven in you, to borrow the words of James Bryan Smith. Your life would be much more full. You say, well, what does that look like when somebody's life is full and nothing more is required? Well, let me tell you a story, and you might be surprised at what it looks like, okay? I, I had a friend in Cincinnati. His name was Larry. And, and I remember going to get Larry one day to take him to lunch. He was up in years. In fact, Larry um, kind of had to hold my arm as we maneuvered through 
uh, a restaurant called Cracker Barrel. Um, wasn't God good to give us Cracker Barrel? That was such a blessing. Because he legally would be blind at this point because of his sugar diabetes. And so we, we get in the restaurant and we sit down and I kind of help Larry and order and we're talking and, and he's an intriguing guy. His son Doug played professional football for several years, first for the Oilers and then for the Jets and in the 90s. And so we have a lot of conversation about those pro football days and college football days. And Larry was a great athlete himself and he played in some elite basketball leagues and then when he quit playing basketball he started playing golf and he was a great golfer and so we talked a lot about golf and sports and life and he was wise and I'm sitting there looking at Larry not only does he have diabetes that has been so debilitating and he no longer can see he's he's legally blind And, and, and now Larry has gone through this thing where about a year prior he had gotten what is called Bell's palsy and his face was drawn terribly to one side and he has to talk out of the side of his mouth to you. His eye, everything is just kind of twisted and drawn. And on top of that he goes to dialysis three days a week because his kidneys have failed. And so somewhere in the conversation I just said, hey Larry, yeah? You're pretty challenged today physically, aren't you? It's hard. And immediately, big tears. And this eye just runs like a faucet. It just, because it's so drawn. He starts to speak and he can't. And he's got his finger up in the air. And I'm thinking he's going to say, Pastor, some days are so hard, I don't think I can make it. My feet and legs have holes in them from the diabetes. I can't see. My face and my mouth is drawn. This eye runs. I go to dialysis three times a week. I expected him to say, Pastor, I, I have days in my life when I think I can't go on. But you know what he says instead? Big tears just falling off onto the table. I am the happiest Christian alive. (laughs) I couldn't imagine asking God for a thing. You ask any pastor, we have been blessed. I mean, beyond measure. He has been so good to us. I think that's what it looks like. I am full. I'm just... Nothing else is required in my life. My life is abundant. Exceeding the need over and above, way more than necessary. God has just poured out His blessings on me. And I couldn't ask for a thing in the world. Nothing more is required. So what's up with us? I'll take a stab at it. I think that we have believed the lie of more is required. 
And my life is never going to be full, Pastor Rick, until I have some more. And my life is never going to be great until I have more. And my life is never going to be what it could be unless I have more money or stuff or prestige or power or something. i got to have more if my life is going to be really full. I mean, that guy, he's got it. I mean, he's, his life is full. Her, her life is I mean, she's got a lot. My life's not full. I don't have enough. And so as interesting as it may seem, our foot in two worlds, 2,000 years ago, the nation of Israel, and today, the United States, I think it's the same question. So where am I looking for abundant life? And to whom am I looking for abundant life? And maybe this morning the Holy Spirit in all of His kindness is saying to some of us, you're looking for life in the wrong places. The places you are looking cannot produce and will not produce. They are thieves and robbers and they are stealing from you and they are trying to destroy you. Jesus is where full life is found. You know, I've been praying about this day and the sermon and just saying there are going to be people who are come who are going to make decisions today. And they're going to say either Jesus is raving mad and I don't believe it or He is the Son of God and He can produce it. And I believe there's people in this room who are going to make a choice before they leave. Or over these next few days they're going to make a choice. And they're going to say, I'm going to look for full life in Him or I'm going to look for full life somewhere else. I promise you, somewhere else cannot produce. It will leave you hurting. Amen? So why don't, why don't you stand with me? I love to close our time together by praying. So you can pray where you are. Or you can come here and pray at the altar if you like. And there's pastors who will be here who will be glad to pray with you. They will be glad to anoint you with oil and pray for your physical healing. Or they will pray for you about a need in your life. But if you're here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I'm looking in the wrong places for fulfillment in life. And I want to come this morning and find Jesus. Then I would say just come and kneel at an altar and let some people gather around you and pray for you and lead you in prayer and help you to find that life that Jesus talks about. Maybe that you're a believer this morning. But you're willing to admit that I have been listening to the lies. And although I know in my heart what I know, I have forgotten some important things and I've been looking in wrong places for fulfillment. And I must confess that to the Father today. And I must get my life back where it belongs. So let's sing. And if you want to come here and pray, you're so welcome to. In fact, I encourage you to. 
Let's talk to the Father before we leave. Okay? All the way As you leave, leave quietly. It's a great atmosphere here this morning, an atmosphere of honesty and openness in the presence of Jesus. And so may the love of God and the power of his Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus be with you. God bless you.
You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.